What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Surf and Sales Podcast. I am your host, Scott Lease, founder of Scott Lease Consulting and co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit happening this November and December. Here with my longtime no-see, no-talk, good friend, Richard Harris. How's it going, Richard? No-see, no-talk. Yeah, I haven't seen you or talked to you in over a month. This is like the longest we've gone without, uh, you know, chatting and hanging out. Probably in like 15 years. We are like that old married couple. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you've been in Africa for like a month. Well, you were in Europe. You were traipsing around Europe. So it was uh, true. like I was, I was, you know, the only one out and about. But it is good to see you, my man. Good. We need to talk offline because we haven't even done that yet. Um, But straight to work, straight to work over here. Yeah, you, dude, first of all, I got to ask, you're like super fired up. What's going on, man? Like you usually kind of chill coming into these podcasts. Well, probably because we haven't recorded one for a little while. Also, probably because I closed a couple deals today. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Huh? Is two for Tuesday? You closed two deals? Two. For, yeah. Hey, I like that. Two for Tuesday. There you That's go. So. We, uh, we're here with a uh, long time. How do I phrase this? Friend, collaborator, uh, yeah, but Scott, uh, someone we've observed, someone someone we've had our, our eye on for a while. He's a big time creator on uh, on LinkedIn and probably some other platforms that Richard is too old to use. And uh, like us, he is a slightly scarred ex startup executive who's now trying his hand. As a founder, as a co-founder of TAC, his name's Nick Bennett, and he'll join us in just a second. Richard, tell everybody about our wonderful sponsor, HubSpot. Yeah, so um, everybody's talking about AI. HubSpot's right there with everyone. Um, You know, as they like to say, AI is kind of eating the web, which is definitely true and somewhat scary, but they found ways to make it helpful for sales. And so they've got things from, um, they run off an open AI chat GPT model, but they've got stuff around content assistance and chat spots. So to help with conversations um, so that you can get rid of some of those manual tasks. So you can really just spend time with your customers uh, or your prospects. And so that's really cool. It's one of the things I like about them. You can also do things like brainstorm your ideas and create blogs and draft a ton of copy, um, which I think is great all the way around from everybody from sales and SDRs and AEs to, uh, to marketing. Um, you know, the interesting thing is I think AE should be using it more. You know, we already know the SDRs are gravitating towards it, but I really do think the, the AE should be doing it a lot. Um, you can find out more about this uh, over at um, how they're using it at hubspot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. Uh, hubspot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. Um, I really wish they would like Bitly these things or something. I would think HubSpot could do that. I would think that's a. I think HubSpot should pay more attention to making your life easier. They should. I mean, why not? Right. I don't know. Welcome to the show, Mr. Nick Bennett. How you doing, man? Good, good. Appreciate you having me. Big fans of both of you. It's very kind of kind of you to say. Tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you're up to, if you're able to share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So recently laid off um, after being promoted and uh, after laying off my entire team and um, said, you know what, I I don't want to go work for someone else. I want to, you know, why make money for someone else when you can make money for yourself? So 
launching a new business with myself and um, Mark Killens, who's former HubSpot, former Drift, uh, CM was CMO at AirMeet as well. So we are launching a business called TAC, which is actually a media and marketing firm um, to help you know tech companies out there. I want to dive into something real quick that is probably not like a pleasant memory, but you, you just said, and I didn't know this story, um, prior to being laid off, did I hear you just say that they made you lay off your team? So let me just get this straight. They made you do some dirty work by letting a bunch of people go and then they let you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I've been, I've been laid off many times. So like for me, it's no big deal. I'll figure out what's next. But for my team, they were all junior. They've never gone through this. So I had to lay them off a month in advance of like when I was leaving the company, I was able to stay for a little bit extra, negotiated some things to be able to do that. But like, these people have never been through this. And like, I just, they were bawling their eyes out to me. And I was, they were like, what am I going to do? I got families. And like, I've had to do this before. And you, again, I said, you know, this isn't personal companies and founders just make dumb decisions. And here we are, but people that haven't gone through this before, like they stress out and like, I feel so bad for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a good experience for anybody. I think the first time you go through it is, is unique and, 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 a, and a little bit sort of like getting blindsided. Like what just happened? I didn't even know that was possible or that that's a thing. I just, that leaves such a bad taste in my mouth to be told like, Hey, go fire these people. So, so we can just fire you later on. Yeah. There's, it seems to be to me, Richard, like, there's an there's a season happening right now where um, some of these moves are being done without any care or concern for the human beings involved whatsoever, and it just feels like a real, real bad look for the industry. I agree. I think. I mean, it comes to a lot of things. Um, it, it comes down to yeah, that's a bad look. Also, particularly you know in the startup world we swim in, you know these founders have never done it either. Right. And they're just doing it because they're, you know, in many cases, the VCs, they're not forcing it, but they're saying, look, you have to make some tough decisions and that kind of stuff. But nobody's teaching you. And even Nick, you know, you, you know, the, nobody teaches us how to do this as managers anyway. Right. We all get promoted from within. They don't teach us how to actually manage and have the soft skills and they don't teach you how to manage and actually, you know, you know, what words do you use? What do you, they don't do the role plays that need to exist. So it's that's why I think it's part of the problem. I also think, you know, the severance thing, if they're not giving severance or offering severance makes them look bad. I think that, um, you know, the founders also don't understand the branding side of this, like what this means for them now compared to when, you know, you know, a couple of times I got laid off. Um, people don't understand the legality of it, right? Like these non-compete, non-disclosures are now illegal. For those listening, yes, they're 100% illegal. It was decided in February of this year, 23. Um, so people don't understand. And so it's a very scary thing. And it's still scary. Believe me, it had, it's happened to me. Um, you know, even Scott had to let me go, um, you know, at one point in time. And it was still scary because I had family and all this stuff. So it's just a weird, weird thing. On the, on the flip side, you know, I will say this, and this is, nobody ever teaches you this. Um, you shouldn't be surprised either, right? If you're, if you're in sales and you know how to pay attention and do discovery and do research, 
you shouldn't be completely surprised. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt or that you can't have emotions about it. And I, one thing I would, you know, it is personal when it happens. So, you know, you know, try not to be so naive about it is the other piece. And so the beautiful thing now is you can actually do something about it, right? Like you can, you know, as we've all learned, you know, my, that's what he's he's up to now. He's just like, Hey, I'm going to go do my own thing. There's so many people leaving companies going to start their own thing. You being chief among them. Why is now the time? I mean, I've actually, I was, th- I was thinking of doing this right before I was at Airme. I was at a company called Alice. Um, shout out to Nina Butler, who I know you guys know as well. She was, I've known Nina forever. She brought me over there and we, uh, we did some incredible things and we had to lay off the entire organization there as well, which was so mind blowing to me. Um, but I was like, all right, do I go and work for a company? Because the, the the role that I wanted wasn't a typical, this is what you go and get. I wanted to do evangelism. I wanted to be able to be a creator within these organizations and do what I did at Alice, where I drove 2 million in pipeline through organic content creation on LinkedIn and 60% of that closed. People are still, you're going to be a target no matter what. And so I was tempted to go do my own thing. My wife was pregnant at the time. We were having twins. And oh, um, I ended up going and working for Airme. I worked for Mark. We had dinner in October. He was like, let's build out this epic thing. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I built up my entire job description, what I wanted to do, the team, all that stuff. And um, the founders just went rogue. And the VCs got to them. And honestly, the executive leadership team outside of the founders didn't even know who was going to be impacted. They had no say in what that decision was. VC said, you need to break even. We need to get to, get to break even. And with my salary, I was one of the most expensive people in the company. So even knowing the impact that I drove, it was like, well, you know, hey, sorry, you're, you're expensive. We need to cut costs. And so I said, all right, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to go do my own thing. And now I have four month old twins. And uh, my wife was like, do you think this is really the best time? You have a five-year-old and four month old twins. And I was like, you know what? I've worked hard these last three and a half years to build all of this up. And if I did something wrong, like if I screw this up, I did something completely wrong. And if worse comes to worse, I will go find another job because I know that I can hit up a few people and be like, hey, come hire me. It It took Nick three and a half years to, to realize what it took me 15 years to realize. Which well, that's not true, Scott. You knew earlier on you were just afraid to do it. Okay, it took him three and a half years to do what it took me right. 15 years to do. Right. And what's your, what's your favorite phrase? Shrink the delta, Scott? Yes, this does not mean that I have practiced this my entire life, by the way. It just means that in the last few years, I've become really, really uh, good at it and, and, and focused on it. You recently, Nick, rented a fucking boat to go <laughs> shoot content am i did i see that right yeah yeah you got to tell you got to tell us about this this story the guy rents a boat to go shoot content richard this is how far behind we are right it's it actually wasn't as expensive as you think it was so Outside of Boston, so for anyone that knows the New England area, Gloucester, Mass, beautiful harbor, all that that nice stuff. And so we found this guy that was like, hey, we'll charter. It was like a 39-foot uh, sailboat. And the business tack actually has to do with sailing. So like you chart your course on the waters depending on how you pull the sails. So we're like, oh, this is perfect. 
Let's rent a boat and let's hire a video crew and we'll shoot a bunch of new content for the website and for social. And so for three hours of the boat, plus the actual video crew and all the editing, the whole thing was only about $1,000. And like the amount of content that we got from it was through the roof. And I was like, this is such a no brainer. Like we got, it just, it just made a lot of sense because everything behind the company and what we stand for has to do with like the sailing and like, you know, just all of that, like the wind and kind of taking your course the right way. So I got, I have a question. How many hours of content did you shoot? We, we shot about two out of the three hours that we were on there. A lot of B-roll footage, a lot of interviews actually off land, but we were on the boat for three hours and then we were shooting off land for about an hour and a half. Got it. So, and I'm asking this because it's, it's, you know, you see this, you know, Instagrammable world of sales and, you know, all that stuff. And, and even Scott's finally gotten into video and I still haven't, um, for every hour that you shoot a video, how much production work do you think goes into it afterwards? Oof. It's a good, it's a good amount. I can tell you that. Like I've just More, said, twice as much equal amount. I would, I would say twice as much easily depending oh. on like, cause I mean, we, we messed up a bunch because we were still kind of understanding like what the script of like what we wanted to talk about. So we were having to take like three, four, five cuts on a specific thing. And like the person that was editing everything, like she had to mash everything up. She had to roll right. in the beef roll footage. Like it was a lot of work. That, that, that's the reason I'm asking the question. Cause it's, it's, it's. I think for some people there, you know, you can easily go and do the selfie and put it up right away. And then, you know, but if you want to go in and you want to put some graphics in and all that stuff, it just takes a little bit extra time. So, um, and I think that's probably the reason I haven't done it. And I just don't want to spend the time. I got so much, you know, we've got, believe me, we've got 400 episodes of this podcast. We could splice up into stuff, you know, a thousand ways. And we just never wanted to put the time into it and or the money. So, so if anybody's listening and you want to, get some practice doing some editing, you know, come edit three or four of our episodes. We'll, we'll gladly let you practice with it. So, you should uh, side note, I'm not affiliated with them, but you should check out Momentos. Like I've been playing around with like AI video editors to basically yeah. take podcasts and yeah, have it cut it that up still for you. Does, I've played with those and it still takes, you know, it gets me 80% of the other way there, but then I still got it 20% perfecting it. And, you know, which is not good for Richard because Richard's a, a a plus person when that shit happens as Scott knows um, where, you know, I need you to be B plus work, but anyway, I want to, I want to come back to navigating that conversation you had with your wife, right? Like, you know, the, people are going through these tough times right now and, um, and it's hard. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know what your financial situation is, you know, but you know, what do you do to try and reassure someone, right? Your, your partner, your spouse, that it's going to be okay. Um, what were some of the things y'all had to go through just for people who are listening to maybe experiencing this themselves? I mean, I think it, I think it was just having that honest conversation of being like, listen, like we have the savings saved up if something doesn't work. Fortunately, I posted about being laid off and it got half a million views, 300 DMs, like a thousand comments of people offering help. And so I ended up filling up the pipeline with about 20 discovery calls in like a week and a half. Right. Um, so that helped. But I did to show the early success of that was important. And like, she was just like, 
she's a, ki a kindergarten teacher. So she's like, doesn't know this whole like tech world. And she knows I've been laid off before. She knows I've you know gone through an IPO and like a company running out of runway. So she's like, listen, you take risks. I get it. She's like, let's agree to say that we'll test this out for through the end of the year. And if you don't make any money, you'll go and find a job. And I said, all right, cool. And fortunately, I've already made way more money than I was making at my last role, which is is a good thing. So, yeah, that's that's the key thing I learned too when it happened to me, um, and it happened for me when I got laid off was um, was you know all of a sudden I was making three x, you know, in sixty days I was making six months and I was only working thirty days each of those. <laughs> Here's the thing about that though, and I don't say this to discourage anyone, most of all Nick, but like. There's always a spike mm -hmm. when you go out on your on your own when you, you you first announce or whatever. Every single creator, solopreneur person, I've never seen one person post, "Hey, I went out on my own in the first month. I fucking made zero. Everybody's like, "Oh, I'm making a billion times more than I was making before." But after that tide goes out for a minute, it's like. Are you still making more six months later, one year later, two years later, three years later, four years later? Right. And, and that's the thing that I'm always worried about or cautioning people uh, over is like, you've got to set yourself up where you can at least maintain this level you're at now, which is 3x higher than where you were before. And so how do you set yourself up for that? Do you, do you think about that or, or worry about that at all? Or, or am I just like annoying and, and like a rock in your shoe right now? And you're like, dude, this guy's killing my buzz. No, no, honestly, I, ha I have thought about that. And so like, I think like what I pay myself, um, like I still have money in the bank so that when I do hit those dry months, like I could go an additional three, four months with no business and still continue to pay myself the same month over month. So I try not to like, even though when I'm making more, try not to like over lavish and like pull all of that out when like I could just leave it in there and invest it a little bit so that when I do hit those times, um, I'm good. And then I'm, I'm signing at a minimum six month contracts, six to 12 month contracts. And I am giving them a, a three month out, but no one's pushed back on a six month contract. So I know, Hey, at least I'm good to like around the Christmas time. Well, I just learned a ton of things. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, I need to get longer contracts, right? Scott, that's Scott's been thing. Well, uh, yeah, I've told you that for a long time, but I, I'm also over here as Nick's buddy going like, okay, well you have a three month out dude. So just be careful. Nobody's asked or worried about the three month out yet because you haven't been involved with anybody yet. I was so, gonna say, have you reached? Be careful! Months, so you got three months out. I would plan for three months, buddy, not six yeah. or twelve. Yeah, that's a good point. But that's then again, point. you know, you could have no out, and they still fucking go squirrely on you. So what do I know? Right? Have you have you reached a three month with a client yet, where they've said they're gonna bail? So I have. I have three months. I have two coming up on three months right now, and they actually asked to extend beyond the six months. Um, they're just. I'm trying to go after the low hanging fruit and provide immediate value. And like what we're doing around like demand creation and demand capture has been like easy enough to show immediate impact to the bottom line that they're, they're not really questioning anything. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we can just continue with that. It'd be interesting if you said, if you said, uh, okay, you're at the three month, do you want out or do you want to extend? And if you want to extend past six months, 
here's the additional discount for the next six months. So then you, you've given them the out, but then you also give them this like, hmm, how do I get them to the year? You know, um, I like that'd, that. be, that'd be interesting test. I don't know if it would work or not. So, um, yeah. I was yeah. going to I was going to say too I though I, I am making people sign a 12 month if they want exclusive within a category so like take a right. you know an ABM platform for example if they want to push everyone else out cool sign a 12 month exclusive I won't work with anyone else and yep. you have me to do whatever you want me to do Scott do you do that do you have an exclusive clause in your contracts I I only do for sponsorships um of communities and we would do that for servant sales. Yeah. I do not do that in my consulting business. Got it. Right or wrong. I do not do that. I, yeah. I understand. I understand why you would do that. I can also understand why I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I have not applied that. Yeah. So well, how did you, Nick, like, how did you even know you were going to be in sales in life? Like, where did that even fall for you? Are you, you already knew, or is like, well, I tried everything else and I sucked at it. Like Scott did. So. <laughs> I was actually in sales before I was in marketing. So I, I went to school for sport management, realized I could make $10 an hour selling tickets for the Red Sox and was like, all right, this is terrible. And so I actually went into sales, not in tech, but I was really good at it. I just hated a quota hanging over my head every quarter. So I came across marketing as a field marketer. I worked for Kyle Coleman at Cleary and that was kind of like one of my bigger like field marketing roles. And uh, I just kind of like never looked back from that. And like, I actually missed the sales piece. I've been asked by numerous organizations in the MarTech side, hey, can you move over to sales? Like Alice asked me that, Airmead asked me that. They were like, you're better than most of our sales team. And uh, I was like, I'm going to take a huge hit financially. Yeah, there's a bunch of upside, but I said for me right now, I would rather, if I do that, I want to do it for myself. Yeah, but you're in sales now if you're running your own that's, company. Like that's- That, that is that's, true. And I, I mean, it's it's funny because I actually enjoy it a lot. The one thing I do miss, or I guess not miss, but like the amount of people that ghost me on discovery calls and like, so they're the one that reached out to me. Oh, that's the part that uh, you don't miss. Yeah, you're the one that reached out to me. You ghosted your inbound request for my uh, time. Yeah. Got to love that one. I, I have a question for you coming back to the, to the marketing side of things and what you're doing with clients. And then, of course, all the AI, right? Like everybody's running, running around screaming like a chicken with their head cut off. But I haven't. I still don't think the layoffs that we're seeing are AI related. I think they're economy related, right? And everybody's afraid they're going to get replaced by the AI piece, which I don't see yet. What's happening on the market? And that's, that's the sales version. That's my vision of the sales world. What's happening in the marketing world around jobs and job security around AI and stuff like that? What do you see in here? I don't think people are afraid of it as much. They're just trying to figure out how to make their lives easier. Uh, now, the issue is you have some younger marketers that are just trying to use AI to blast out blog posts and like a bunch of content without really using the human component behind it. And I think that's part of the bigger issue. People are misusing AI, which makes the brand and yourself look bad as well if there's no human checkpoints along the way. But yeah, I agree. I think it's economy related. I don't think 
I think the majority of people aren't afraid that AI is going to take their, I've even talked to a lot of copywriters, like they're not afraid that AI is going to take their job. And a lot of them use AI to help automate a lot of the tasks that they don't want to do, which is, I think that the right mindset to have, like, let's all work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just wild to me though, to think that marketers don't think that they might be out of a job, content marketers in, in, in particular. Think about this. Apparently, smarter people than me say this. Apparently, the capability of AI right now is doubling every 12 months. That means one year from today, it'll be twice as powerful. Two years from today, four times as powerful. Three years, eight times as powerful. Four years, 16 times as powerful. Five years, 32 times as powerful. You're trying to tell me that the copywriting skills of AI will not be on par or better when the capacity of AI is 32 times better than it is right now. I, I, I personally I, think the marketer, content marketer who doesn't think they're worried about their job is foolish. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see it when it gets to that point, but I do think there still needs to be a human element of that. And I think they'll find different ways to leverage it at that point. Yeah, I think I'm not sure what that would look like, though. But it means I think what it means, too, is that and this is the part where it gets scary, is that right now we're at that stage where we have to learn how to prompt the machine. Right? For how long? How long are you going to need to prompt? Right. At what at what point does the machine know how to prompt itself? Yeah. Right. Um, and it'll be interesting because some human will still come along and, and tweak what's being said. So it, it'll be a very different role for all of us. So, um, I mean, well, seems, you, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, do you think, like, do you think this will ever give you a hundred percent of like what you need though? Like, I don't know. It's yes, a I do. Question. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. It, 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 but not right now. No. Right. But we're talking about six, seven years from now, seven years from now, AI will be 128 times stronger than it is right now. Yeah. You don't think that you don't think I can retire and not have to worry about it anymore. I'm telling you, you better make your money right now because seven years from now, I don't know where it's going to come from the way that you've been making it. Yeah. It's it's a fun slash scary debate and forecast because none of us fucking know. No one is either right or wrong. We can all think about our opinions and we don't know. I just think to myself, when you say to me, you know, will it ever be able to give you everything you want? I 100% think the answer is yes. Yes. Seven, seven years, five to seven years from now. And by the way, that's if the rate of its power doesn't accelerate beyond the 12 month uh, kind of doubling mechanism that it's at right now, which it probably will. So we got to pause here. We got to pause here, Richard, for you to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, somebody that we know very well. Yeah. Respect. Yeah, yeah. So um, again, if you don't know, uh, thank you to HubSpot. Um, they have created the HubSpot Podcast Network. They put a ton of great podcasts out there, uh, not just for sale, but for marketing and product and all kinds of different things. So check out the HubSpot Podcast Network. But I uh, want to mention our friend Donald Miller, uh, who has a podcast called Business Made Simple. Um, and it is a great, great podcast because he talks a lot about, well, how do I grow my business? And I know he's got stuff on there about, well, what am I going to do to grow my business based on this and sort of this, the scariness and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he's, and he's talked to like 
the greatest. Uh, he's talked to Seth Godin, right? One of the episodes called Solutions You Need uh, to Lead in Post-COVID Workplace. Um, that's a great episode with Seth Godin, who I always like. Uh, I love reading his books. Um, and then he also had another one on taking the first step to, to double your revenue today. That's obviously a great one that everybody needs to go listen to. So check out Donald Miller um, and his podcast. And uh, we appreciate everything that HubSpot does for us. So back to you in the studio, Scott. Nick, you uh, created an event. I think for the first time, at least the first time that it's your own event, you and uh, a couple partners, why don't you tell everybody what it is and who you're working on it with and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I had this idea probably about a year ago to, to bring a bunch of creators together to create content in Airbnb for a week. And I was trying to do it on my own and I ran into a bunch of legal issues and it just, it just didn't take off. And so I started talking to Kai Shaw and Kelsey, who at the time was at Demand OS as well with Kai. And so they were like, we want to sponsor this. Why don't we just do it together? And so Kelsey has been literally an amazing, I talk to her so often. She's been planning the whole logistics behind this new event called Hiatus. And so what it is, it's a creator's haven to reinvent and re-encharge. So it's in Costa Rica. November 1st through the 4th. We actually only have one ticket left. We've been selling tickets. It sold out. I mean, we made maybe two or three LinkedIn posts. That's really all we did. And we, we sold the entire tickets to that. But the goal is to create workshops, to have people come, to create content, to hopefully walk away and learn something on how to be a better creator at the end of the day. We're going to be talking about you know YouTube shorts and a bunch of other platforms and how to take advantage of these and hopefully people just kind of learn. And we have a lot of different people coming. We have some founders coming. We have some copywriters coming, a wide variety of people across sales, marketing, and even RevOps. So, Scott, um, you should trade off a ticket and go down there and learn how to do some content. Yeah. Trade, a, trade a surf and sales ticket to, to one of these. I mean, it's not a bad idea, to be honest with you. I, I don't know what I'm doing at all. I just wake up every morning and write some bullshit. No, that's it. I don't know how to do any any anything else. So I would probably learn more than anybody there, frankly. Yeah. What has been the um, hardest part? I mean, we've we've very specifically we've run a bunch of events in Costa Rica. What has been the, the snag that has got you that you uh, had not expected? It's a good question. I mean, honestly, you guys, we've taken a lot of inspiration from, from what you have done. So, and I think that has played into a lot of it. I think the biggest thing is showcasing the value that people will get. I mean, we're not, it's, it's not expensive to a certain degree. I mean, we're charging about $3,000 and people pay their flight. So I feel like it's a decent price and everything is included beyond that. Um, I think it's more of just what is the agenda or schedule that people will learn from? Like, what are, what are the topics that people are going to be talking about? What are the, the 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 networking and the relationship building types of assets? What type of content are we going to create while we're there? And we thought, you know, do we bring sponsors in for this? And we had a few companies that are like, hey, we'd love to sponsor this. And after talking to Kelsey and Kai, we we're just like, you know what? No, we're, we're, we're just going to kind of, at least this year, do it on our own, see how it goes. We have three Airbnbs right on the water. Um, and so 
we're just excited to see how it actually goes and, and just kind of hopefully turn this into a yearly thing. We've had a few people be like, can you bring this to Europe uh, as well? But, you know, maybe sounds that's uh, sounds eerily familiar. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> eerily no. familiar. It's just a different slant. The slant is creators right. and, uh, you know, how to create content, different types of content, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to sales and leadership and whatnot. But tons and tons of overlap. How many people uh, are, are are going? You say you've got one spot left. If I was yes. going to buy a ticket, how many people would I be joining? So there's there's going to be 20 people total. Um, and, you know, we're bringing people like Kyle Lacey is going to be there, Todd Clouser, Karina Owens. Um, I don't know if anyone knows Mac Redden, he founded Comsor as well. So oh, yeah. a lot of cool people that that have done some incredible things. So we're excited just to kind of see how it actually does and see if hosting it in kind of a tropical place, does that actually make a difference? And again, it does. I think, it will. Well, it does. Yeah. That's probably okay. why, I mean, I'm sure you could sell, I'm sure you could sell 20 tickets in Fargo, North Dakota. But um, it makes it a little easier to sell them in Costa Rica. Certainly does. Especially in November. Yeah, especially in November. Yep. Completely. Yeah. Well, fuck it. I'm going to buy a ticket and, and, and go unless somebody beats me to it, Richard, just, to, just so I can be superior than you at content creation. You're just going to, you're just going to move down there for six weeks because our event's coming up. Uh, well, that's, actually, that's really what I want to do is I just want right. to, I mean, we'll be there at the end of November. This is just an excuse for me to get there sooner. Right, right. Your your family won't. Your, your kids won't matter. <laughs> oh, they're gonna they're gonna join me. They're gonna join me. They're they're coming for Thanksgiving. So, uh, awesome. Well, I know I know we need to move towards wrap, but before we do that, Nick, we always sort of turn it over to you. What kind of questions you got for us? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so one of my big questions of like starting this whole business again, I've been just kind of building as I go. I haven't even released the website yet or anything like that. Everything has been inbound. One thing that I'm struggling with and I would love advice on is I have two clients that are pushing things outside of the SOW on the initial contract that we signed. And no. I've been doing it just because they're an early client. But nope. okay, no. No, no. You can tag it on if you want me to do that. It's an extra, this, right? Nope, don't do that. Well, this, so, so Richard and I operate differently here. So I'm glad you asked this question. My, my answer is a little more nuanced, I think, which is like, what are they asking for? Like, if they're asking me for something that's outside of the statement of work, but is no effort on my end whatsoever, and is small, easy, I'll probably do it. If they're asking me for something that's like massive or I've never done before, that's going to be boring or crappy for me to do the actual work, then I would probably be like, nah, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, well, and it, it's been it's been bigger things. And like basically I pushed back and said, listen, if you want me to focus on these things, I got to what we had initially agreed on. I got to take less focus off of that. And he's like, well, why can't you do everything? And I'm like. You know, listen, it's they don't, it's, they don't it's understand time. time. That's the problem. They don't understand time. It also could be potentially in how you've structured your agreement. Because if you structure agreements with this like very myopic statement of work where it's like, I will do these three things, then you're then you're stuck. If you sign an agreement that's just like it costs 
X amount per month and whatever the fuck you want to do inside of that period of time, like that's what we'll do, right? Then you've provided both of you potentially a little bit of increased flexibility because people's priorities change. Let's just say for the sake of uh, example here, like I, I hire you today, okay? We're, we're doing a six month deal. We've agreed to this particular like statement of work. Well, what happens if like six weeks from now, my priorities completely change and the stuff that I want done is not in your statement of work that, that we agreed upon. What does that mean? Are you going to change the entire contract on me? Do we have to re-sign a, a new one? You don't do this particular work? Because what could happen is potentially you could now have some friction in that relationship you feel like you're nickel and diming each other a little bit. And at some point, someone might just be like, you know what? Fuck this, dude. This guy can't do what I want anymore. And I'm out. And now you end up with nothing. So I personally, and again, I don't know if this is the right way to do it. This is just how I think about it. I tend to, to sign much more vague agreements. And I don't specifically say like, this thing will be done by this particular day. And this is all I'm working on. I'm just sort of like, I can do all of this stuff. Your priorities will dictate what we work on. And I understand that those priorities might shift. So because of that, and the increased uh, flexibility you need from me, this is my fee. Whereas Richard, you could talk a little bit about more of what you do, but I feel like yours is much more specific and prescriptive and like, I do this and yeah. I don't do that. And I can do that. But if you want that, that's going to be extra upcharge. Yeah. Well, there's a, the difference too, is that you have more general go-to-market strategy clients, whereas I have sales training clients, right? So they want me yeah. to come and do, deliver a very specific set of content in a very specific way. Um, and I think that's, that's a huge difference in this. Um, but I do have, you know, even then I have people say, you know, I, like I tell me, you know, I'll tell people like, okay, here, I'll train you on this. Send me your scripts, send me your emails so I know what's going on. And then people will turn around and say, well, will you rewrite our, our emails? And I'm like, well, no, you didn't ask me to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of review them. I might make a note or something, but it's for me to understand so we can teach people how to do it. It's like, oh, and to that point of friction, you know, in those instances, when people ask me for that, I'm like, I can, if you want me to, I also know someone else who does that specifically. And I'll try to point them in that direction because sometimes I don't want to sit down and write a playbook. Oh, you want to write a playbook? I know somebody who does that. I can do it, but it's not my favorite thing to do. So, so there's lots of ways to position that, but I, I do get very specific around that. Um, I also have in my business, you know, I have something in my, I think I have a clause in my contract around, you know, if other topics come up and we mutually agree to do it, then we can do it, right? Um, that's one of the things like my biggest challenge was for a long time, I didn't realize this, people were asking me to, to train and they're like, well, can we record it? And I would let them. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, I need to charge them for that. Then they get annoyed. I'm like, why do I have to pay for the recording? I'm like, cause you're not gonna pay to have me come back. <laughs> like, like, so, um, so there's just little things in there. I think you have to figure out where your value is. I also understand Nick too, like is an early stage, like you, you want referenceable clients. Right. So I'm not opposed to the fact of like, okay, I need this logo. I can get a case study or a couple of customer quotes. And maybe the project itself lends to 
me learning how to actually do that and offer that as a service that I didn't offer before, right? So there, there could be this sort of long-term value play of why you might do it. So as much as I hate to say no, that's, that's no for Richard now, not no from when I first started. Super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. What yeah, else? We're, we're as usual, we're happy that we could confuse you and the audience by giving two different, two different <laughs> takes. No, no. In all serious. No, we so always give one right good. answer and one wrong answer. It's up to everybody to figure out which one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's good. I think it's good, hopefully, to hear different perspectives and understand that there's not necessarily one right or wrong way uh, to do it, but hopefully there's the best way for you specifically. Anything else you want to uh, ask us about real quick before we get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, I think that, that that was the big thing for me that's been like on my mind for a few weeks cool. now. So Cool. All right. Well, tell everybody the best way uh, to get in contact with you, whether it's hiatus for stealing the uh, last ticket or uh, to talk to you about uh, TAC and how you might be able to help them. Yeah, absolutely. So you can head to hiatusevent.com if you want to check out the event itself. Like Scott said, one ticket left. Uh, if you want to learn more about TAC, it's tacgtm.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Also, I have a podcast called The Anonymous Marketer uh, if you want marketing advice from a bunch of leaders out there. So appreciate you having me. We're glad yeah. to have you, man. Good to hang out with you for a bit. Definitely. Yeah, anytime, man. Well, uh, we're wishing you the best. We'll be watching uh, from afar, and I may or may not see you in Costa Rica. To be determined. All right, Nick. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. See you, everybody.